pictures. I had on a pair of plaid pants and a mustard yellow shirt. <laughs> yep, I was looking good. And so at Jennings, at that time, you would go to your classroom and you would line up outside the door. Each classroom had a door and it was kind of in the playground. You would line up there. And so I'm standing there. I could kind of feel the knot in my stomach. My knees are a little weak. I'm nervous. First day of new school. And this kid comes up to me and I knew like it was bad news, right? Because so back in the day, kid was wearing blue jeans and a jean jacket. Back then, that was like the kid was bad road probably meant his brother had jeans, his older brothers had jeans, and they had cut the sleeves off their jackets, right? And it was just, so I was bracing myself. And he comes up and he's like, hey, what's your name? I was like, oh, thinking to myself, maybe this won't be so bad. I said, Tom K. He said, who cares? <laughs> and, he, and he walks away. And my little third grade psyche was just absolutely crushed, just absolutely devastated. And so I kind of muddled through the next three months, and then Dad comes home and is like, hey, good news. We're moving to Cleveland. It's like, okay. So here we go again. And I spent every day at Westerly Elementary School in Bay Village, Ohio, of my third grade year, pretending to be sick during recess because I was petrified of what the big kids would do or say. And I finally, like, finally got to the point towards the end of the year where the nurse was tired of this, and I don't know if this is like a real thing or not, but she's like, all right, sit there, put your head between your knees, and she put a bucket under like, my mouth in case I threw up. And at that point, I realized something's gotta change. Like this is, <laughs> something's gotta change. So, um, but the combination of, of like my anxiety, the, what that kid did to how I felt about myself caused me to question my identity, caused me to question who I was. So fast forward, end of college. Um, I, had, I came to faith, I came to believe in Jesus when I was a senior in high school, and I spent most of college unlearning all the bad habits that I had picked up in high school. And um, God was doing a work in me, right? Or I, I thought, because stuff was starting to change. And I got to my senior year in college, and my life kind of imploded. And I blamed God. I said, this is your fault. You're turning your back on me. I'm going to turn my back on you. And I walked away. And I walked away for like nine, nine months. And God found me. I hit rock bottom. And he found me and he picked me up and he dusted me off and he started putting me back together. And um, continued to the process of growing me into the man that he created me to be. And I got to, this is probably 10 years ago. And another set of circumstances where, like, my, I felt everything was coming to an end. And um, I had grown, right? I didn't walk away this time. Through a combination of loving, caring people around me, through God's word, specifically, there's a passage in Romans that says, if God is for you, who could be against you? And I felt the Holy Spirit saying to me, like, what, what's your answer to that question? Do you believe that I'm for you? If you do, let's go. Let's get back up. Let's go. And what had happened in those two instances was my circumstances caused me to question God's character, God's identity. And those are the two big lies that we all face. 
right? Satan will come after us and he will try to tell us that we are not who God says we are. And he will try to tell us that God is not who he says he is. So today we're going to look at a passage If you have a church background, it's probably pretty familiar of Jesus going into the wilderness where Jesus is faced with these two lies from Satan. And we're going to, so this is in in Luke chapter four, and we're going to, we're going to read through and talk through it as we go. So Jesus had just been baptized by John the Baptist. And this is where we, we pick this up. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. So God, when God chooses a representative, he will give them opportunities that not everybody has. And they inevitably become tests, right? God tests people. He doesn't tempt people. Scripture tells us really clearly, God doesn't tempt anyone, but he will test us to see if we will rely on ourselves and our own means, or if he will turn to him and to his word. So the spirit led Jesus out into the wilderness. And when he was in the wilderness, he was there for 40 days. The wilderness and 40 days. When you, when you hear wilderness and when you hear the number 40, it should cause your brain to go back to the Old Testament and think about the people of Israel who wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Right? And there's a whole generation that didn't get to experience God's promise because they chose to go their own way. Jesus, Israel was supposed to be God's representative. Jesus is God's representative, is God, but Jesus went into the wilderness and succeeds, right? Jesus goes into the wilderness and succeeds. At the end of those days, he was hungry. So point number one about hungry. Jesus, what we're about to read, Jesus did in his humanity. He didn't pull out the God card and and defeat Satan with supernatural abilities. This was in his humanity. He was hungry. Just like you and I get hungry. I haven't had anything to eat yet today. I'm hungry. And when we get hungry, we get weak. And Satan is a coward. He doesn't come after us when we're strong, when we're feeling good. He comes after us when we are weakened. And that's when he chose to come after Jesus. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. There it is. If you are the son of God, he comes right at him and he attacks his identity. If you are the son of God, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. How does Jesus respond to the attacks of Satan? With scripture. That's a quote from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. The rest of that verse in Deuteronomy, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So there's, there's attack number one and, and Jesus counters it with with scripture. Then the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world and said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. So this is like, this is basically the story of the whole book of Genesis. Jesus is the savior of the world and he's king of the universe, right? This would be like one of my kids when they were growing up in my house offering me their room right? Here, dad, dad, have my room. It's disgusting, but have my room. <laughs> Jesus, the whole thing is Jesus. And he had a mission to fulfill before he would re- regain the, the authority over earth specifically. Satan is trying to tempt him with what is already his. We look at the book of Genesis. 
right? Adam and Eve had, they walked with God in the garden. They, he had, they had this blessing, but they wanted what God had already promised them, and they went and they took it on their own. They wanted to decide right and wrong, right? Jacob, his whole life is grabbing for blessings that God had already promised to him. He, he lied, he stole, he cheated. And the, the people of Israel, God, God saved them. If you, like, it never really occurred to me before, but if you pay attention to the book of Exodus, God saves them out of Egypt, and then he gives them the law. He doesn't say, obey the law, and then I'm going to save you. He saved them out of Egypt first. And then he said, if you want to live a thriving, fulfilling life, here's some guidelines. All right. If you worship me, it will be yours. Right? There's all, the, all those kingdoms. Satan is talking to Jesus. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God, serve him only. Again, Jesus responds with scripture, and Satan is going after the idea that God is the only one worthy of worship. Right? Cause it, trying to get Jesus to question the character of God. Ben, I'm sorry, I'm banging on your, your iPad. Um, right? He questions gets Jesus to question his identity in the first one, or tries to get him to, and then he tries to get him to question the character of God. Is God really worthy of my worship? Should I worship him? That's the second one. All right, so the third one, we'll, we'll read it first. The devil led him to Jerusalem and, and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written. When I laid out for you who Satan is, He's a real, intelligent, spiritual being. Jesus is playing Bible trivia. All right, let's play. Let's, Satan, throws, Satan throws Psalm 91 at him. Of course, he misuses it and takes that out of context and uses it badly, but this is Psalm 91. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. This is another quote from the Old Testament. Jesus responds, and he's referring to when God was leading the people of Israel out of Egypt. He had just fed them, gave them manna from heaven, bread from heaven, brought quail in from nowhere so they could have bread and meat, and then they start complaining that they don't have water. And they're like, grumbling, like, we should, you know, just, Moses, did you bring us out here to die? Right? We should just go back to Egypt. We had it better when, when we were in Egypt. They're putting God to the test because of their lack of faith. So this is kind of just like a, a little aside. For those of you who are familiar with your Bible, there are parts of the Bible where God says, test me in this, right? The prophet Malachi, specifically talking about when you're giving tithes and offerings. God says, test me in this. So from what, what I've studied and learned, it's that test, God is like, it's a positive test. You have faith, right? Let's, let's work out that faith. Let's grow that faith. Here's a challenge. Here's a test. Let's grow that faith. The test that the Israelites put before God, what Satan was trying to get Jesus to do, was out of a lack of faith. God won't do this. Try it. God won't do it. Go ahead. Does that kind of make sense? All right. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. All right, so let's put some of the pieces together. If you haven't been with us for the last couple of weeks, we are working through this idea that there are three enemies of the soul, the devil, the flesh, and the world. 
and they work against us. They conspire against us. The devil will throw out deceptive ideas that are capitalized upon by our flesh, and those, those desires are normalized in a sinful society, right? The, those desires that shouldn't be, right, that God kind of warns us against. And so we talked about how Satan is the father of lies, and he kind of prepares us for the lies with noise and distractions. And when he's kind of beating us down, then he comes with, with the lies. And next week, we're going to talk about our personal lies, big lies that hit different. But these big, I think all the lies that Satan throws at us come from these two. What God says about you is not true, and what he says about himself is not, is not true. So the noise in this situation, in Jesus' situation, are the temptations. Satan tempts him with his appetites. He's hungry. Went 40 days without food. I go 40 minutes without food, and I get cranky. <laughs> Think, what, are the, what are the appetites that control you? Right? When we think about appetites that get the better of us, we think about food, we think about substances, we think about sex, we think about comfort. And we turn to those things instead of turning to God, instead of trusting in God. And when, when we look away from God, right, when we take our, guys, our eyes off of God and we look at the glazed donut, right, we're, we open ourselves up to a lie of any kind. Our circumstances. And it... Circumstance is a really rough one. I gave you that little snapshot of my story. I didn't fill in any of the details. Um, but life can be hard, right? People do terrible things to each other. We do terrible things to ourselves. Things just happen. And our circumstances can cause us to take our eyes off of God and put our eyes on the circumstances. And again, when we drop that guard, we're susceptible to those lies. And approval... So he, Satan takes Jesus to the, to the top of the temple, and he's like, jump off here. The angels will catch you. You'll be fine. And the, what, what's implied in that is that what a way to start a ministry, right? Jump off the top of the temple, land in like a superhero pose, and everybody would be, everybody would be amazed. Rather, Jesus knew the road ahead of him. The road ahead of Jesus was was sacrifice and, and homelessness and reaching out to those who didn't have and going to the marginalized and going to the oppressed. And it was a long, slow process. It wasn't like that and win the approval of all these people. Whose approval is it that you're after? What, what are the things that you are willing to do to gain that approval, to maybe cut that corner where God's way is a little uphill and steep and rocky and bumpy, and we see a corner we might be able to cut. So those, that noise creates a distraction, drop our guard, ready for the, the lies to come in. First one is, you are not who God says you are. And this attacks us in different ways, and like I said, we're going to talk about the specifics of it next week. But when we think about this, we think about things like circumstances, Right? If, you, if God really loves you as a child, you wouldn't be going through all of this. Enough to put a little question in your head, right? You know, for somebody who says they're all about freedom, 
God's got an awful lot of rules. You don't have to, you can just kind of pick and choose the ones that you like that work for you. Scripture promises that God will provide for us, right? He provides for the birds in the air and makes everything, creation, beautiful. How much more does he care for us, the pinnacle of, of his creation? The lie, right? The lie comes like, where is it? You don't have enough? Look to your right. Look to your left. They have more than you. And you know what? Because they have more than you, you have less. So you got to go take it before somebody else does. Because if they have it, that means you can't. It's called the scarcity mindset. The lie of the scarcity mindset is God doesn't provide for me. I have to take care of that on my own by whatever means necessary. And I mean, we could go on and on and on. So how did Jesus combat Satan's lies? He turned to scripture. So the scripture I want to point you to, there's lots of scripture we could talk about to solidify our identity in God. I could point you to Psalm 139. I could read you the whole first chapter of Ephesians. But I want to draw our attention just to this one verse. This is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Okay, so God's handiwork, right? That word for handiwork literally means poem. We are God's poem. That means God is a poet at a higher level. He's an artist, which makes you a work of art. Created in the image of God, a work of art. And we get damaged and we get dinged up because we live in a broken and sinful world. And then in Jesus, right, that next phrase, created in Christ Jesus, we get recreated. We're a new creation in Christ Jesus. We get recreated to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Each of us who are following Jesus has been gifted specifically, uniquely, unrepeatably gifted to do good works, empowered by the Holy Spirit, directed by the Holy Spirit, created, recreated, on purpose, for a purpose. That's how we battle the lies about our identity. Right? That is who God says you are. That is who God says you are. Big lie number two. God is not who he says he is. I am such a screw-up. God could never forgive me again. It's the same thing over and over and over. God's just got to be tired of me. I know he's tired of me. I'd be tired of me. Causes us to question God's faithfulness. This, this jam I'm in, this is like, this is as bad as it gets. I look around and there's like not a lot of people standing with me. I can't trust people. Why should I trust God? I can't trust anybody else. God's not trustworthy. God is only worried about me believing the right things. He doesn't care if I do the if I do anything. He doesn't care about justice. He doesn't care if I help people who need help. He doesn't care if I go to people who are hurting. As long as I believe the right things, I'm good. Again, I could go on and on and on about the lies 
that we are susceptible to when it comes to the character of God. So when I was thinking about this, I'm like, Scripture is filled with things that help us identify God and who he is. Right? We could, hi. (laughs) Welcome. Um, As we think about who God is, we go to the Apostle John. The Apostle John says God is love. The author of the book of Hebrews says God is not unjust. The psalmist, over and over and over, we hear different things about God from the psalmist. God is our refuge and our strength. All awesome things. But I think if we're going to go to one place to talk about the character of God, we go to God's words himself. And it's the first place in scripture that God's character is outlined. And it's the most quoted scripture in the Old Testament about God's character. This is Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. This is God revealing himself to the person of Moses. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generations. God is loving kindness and he's patient and he's forgiving. And we latch onto that part. We like that part. And then we read that last sentence and we're like, I don't like that part very much. So a couple things about the scholarship around these verses, right? And Carrie did a great job. Carrie taught a sermon on this, these verses a couple years ago, maybe still at Frenchtown, right? And um, she brought out the point that comparison in the, the numbers, maintaining love to thousands versus third and fourth generation, right? The, the author is using numbers to make a case. God's character is overwhelmingly loving and kind and and forgiving and faithful. But we can't forget that God is just. He will not let his justice go unserved. And in his perfection, he takes it upon himself and the person of Jesus to fulfill that justice. The guys at the Bible Project are really, really smart guys. This is what they had to say about this. The disproportionate numbers are key to understanding the meaning of the statement. The lower number, third and fourth, is associated with God's judgment while thousands is associated with God's covenant loyalty. God's covenant loyalty that um, maintaining love to thousands and love and faithfulness, I've talked to you guys about that word, the Hebrew word hesed, right? Faithful, sticky, unending, unbending, can't shake it, love. That's what they're talking about in the, the the covenant loyalty that God has with his people. This results in a picture of God's character that shows liberal generosity that is eternal and endless. But this generosity will not be at the expense of God's justice, which will work itself out as much as necessary. But it is clear in the statement that God's judgment is only a means to a greater end, which is his covenant loyalty. God is good and loving and kind and faithful and just, and he is for you. So we're faced with these two big lies Jesus defeated them with scripture. And so each week I've been trying to put one thing in front of you to help you fight these lies. And today that one thing is scripture, but specifically scripture memorization, right? And I would encourage you to memorize those verses. They're in the notes. And if you guys get text messages from us, um, you should have gotten a text message about two minutes ago with a link, um, or you can just scan this. 
to a little app website that David Carlson developed for scripture memorization. I'll get my fat head out of the way so you guys can. Um, scripture, scripture, we bury God's word in our heart and in our mind so that we might not sin against him. Right? Even there's scripture that I've memorized, and as I was thinking about sharing the, these ideas around scripture memorization with you, I'm like, oh man, I had that whole psalm memorized. And I'm like, I don't have it anymore. But here's the thing, the Holy Spirit can bring those passages back to mind when, when we need them, right? He'll, he'll bring them, once we put them in there, they're there, even though we might not be able to draw on them immediately when we want to. So again, those, oops, those verses, Ephesians 2.10 and Exodus 34, 6 and 7. So the temptations, the struggles, the hardships, all of that will come. And it will, it will shake us, it will rattle us, it will distract us. And these lies will come. But we are not without weapons, we are not without allies. We can, we can stand and we can fight against these lies. And one of the things that makes this really difficult, and we're going to use this as a time to transition into, into communion, is that Satan is so deceptive, right? He schemes so much. And the li- we might not even be able to pick up on the lies as lies. I'm like, is that, what, is that? So here's, here's my encouragement to you. You guys, the band can come back up now. Um, is when the truth gets confusing, and today, I don't think, there's ever been a time in history when truth has been more confusing or people try to confuse it more or Satan's been harder at work about trying to confuse truth. I would encourage you to look to Jesus because scripture tells us that truth is a person. In John 14, chapter six, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Jesus is the truth. So when the truth gets confusing, Look to Jesus. Look to his unconditionally loving, his forgiving, his self-sacrifice, his willingness to go to the hurt and to the broken and to go to the people who everybody else would rather forget about. To go to Jesus because he is the truth. So as we, as we celebrate communion this morning, I would encourage you to... Um, just spend some time turning that thought over, that truth is actually a person, a person that lived and walked as one of us, that had faced temptations, that faced the noise, that made him susceptible to lies, but he did not succumb to those lies, and he was able to defeat them. He showed us how to defeat them, and so we keep our eyes fixed on him for an example of how we do that. So as we celebrate communion today, I would encourage, like I said, to to kind of turn that thought over. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the truth. And he, he showed his disciples what that truth looked like on the night before he died. And he gave them a tangible memory. If you guys don't have communion, um, there's the, oh, the bucket is right by the door. Do you, Mo, do you need? Okay, here, hang on. Karen, can you grab the bucket of communion? 
you guys put your hand up, and then if you need communion, we'll, we'll hook you up. Sorry about that. And these things, there's like two layers to them. You peel the top off to get the, the communion um, wafer, and then the juice is, is underneath that. So when we celebrate communion at Crossroads, this is not about membership, or this is not about having been here for a long time. This is about your relationship with Jesus. And if you believe in the things that Jesus said and did, and you still believe in those things that he still does, I would encourage you to, to celebrate communion with us this morning. And maybe you've never done this before. Maybe this is an opportunity to take that first step and to, to remember that Jesus is the truth. And that truth lived an innocent life, a perfect life, died an innocent death, and then rose triumphantly to defeat sin, to defeat death. And the truth that you are forgiven. You come to Jesus and you say, I'm sorry for things I did and said and thought. I want to walk with you. And he throws his arms open, says, welcome home. That's the truth. That's the truth of who you are. That's the truth of who he is.